time for a sense of place, that, that blueprint segment uh, in which we ask guests to take us to some place which has in some way shaped their life. It might be a building, a, a landscape, a room, perhaps somewhere more, more abstract, more ideational. <laughs> a, a place, though, that has some significance. Today's guest is Yanis Varoufakis, uh, a man of many books, his latest is Techno-Feudalism, What Killed Capitalism. He's an economist and politician. He's Secretary-General of Democracy in Europe movement. Uh, it's a left-wing political party, a pan-European party of his own co-invention. Uh, and ever the thoughtful dissident, Yanis has, has taken our idea as a sense of place and or perhaps subverted this conceptual premise, opting for something more placeless than placed. However, I will let him explain. Uh, Yanis, welcome. Well, thank you for having me. A great pleasure. Before we get to your idea of place, and perhaps to understand how you came to, to that choice, can we begin... Uh, with Athens, uh, as a Greek man, this is a city imbued with with so much. It is is a place redolent with meaning and paradox, delicious paradoxes. Uh, uh, where the realm in which I grew up, I grew up in a suburb of Athens, uh, very close to Athens, but it felt like very far away from the centre because I was on, on the coast. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, open spaces, uh, a stone's throw from the hustle and bustle of downtown Athens. I had a brilliant, brilliant childhood. I remember it uh, almost uh, w- with a sense of guilt because I was living it through major trauma. Uh, my father was imprisoned um, while when I was six. The secret police broke down our door. My mother's brother was um, sentenced to death uh, by a military court because we had the uh, great misfortune of living through a military fascist dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And yet I had a remarkably happy childhood, um, which, as I said, has left me with a sense of guilt ever <laughs> since. Uh, and it was also a very um, mixed cultural landscape in the sense that from the architectural um, surroundings, you had European neoclassical buildings, you had Byzantine churches, you had remnants of the Ottoman rule. I lived in a very European, northern European cultural background due to my father and to my mother. As I said, it, it was just a quagmire or a delightful garden of paradoxes. Does, does the history, the, the, the long culture of Athens come out to, does it reach out to every person in that place? Is it, is it an inescapable force? You can't escape being in the shadow of the Parthenon. And even if you try valiantly to ignore it, it doesn't ignore you. It's like the abyss, as Hegel said. Uh, if, you, <laughs> <laughs> if you stare at it, it stares back into you. Uh, uh, the, our relationship, when I say our, I mean modern Greeks, to the ancient history of this place is a very mixed one. Um, it's, it's, it's liberating and enslaving at the same time because there's no way that we can compete with those long dead people. 
<laughs> in terms of what they achieved in terms of literature, philosophy, even science and technology. Uh, so it, that connection gives us a, a great sense of pride, but at the same time, a sense of constant, constant inadequacy. Uh, you, you know, you walk into the Archaeological Museum of Athens, uh, perhaps one of the best in the world, along, alongside Cairo, is, that's my estimation. And, and you're bombarded with uh, beauty and meaning that um, makes you feel elated and tiny at the same time. Take us then to this idea of place that you'd like to present to us. And, <laughs> and I, <laughs> well, perhaps it, it's best if you explain it. And I, I think it is part of your... Your your fine uh, intellectual presence as, as as a man of some defiance. Well, I'm not trying to be defiant. Um, I end up being defiant, but <laughs> almost as a result of my failure uh, to be around the mill. Uh, when you asked me to come up with a place which uh, resonates with me, which I identify as central to my existence, uh, I thought of so many places. And, you know, each one of them resonated. It, 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 it uh, struck a chord in me. Uh, but they were very, very different places and very far apart, in, not just geographically. Um, I was thinking of uh, the place where I grew up in, in Athens, of uh, a little hut in a pine forest north of Athens, uh, which uh, in 1999 burned down and effectively crashed my soul. I've never been back there as a result of that. Um, the, the little island on which I spend most of my time now. But then again, I thought of uh, a mine pit, a coal pit in uh, uh, Nottinghamshire where my soul was crushed again in 1984 after the end of the miners' strike where I was uh, part of the procession of defeat with the miners and their families walking back to work defeated and crushed. Um, I thought of um, my first encounter of Broken Hill in New South Wales when I escaped Thatcherism and I migrated from Britain to Australia in 1988. And I remember the waves of emotion I felt as I was um, somewhere around Broken Hill in an old Holden Commodore, uh, which was my way of becoming acquainted with the, the great land that is Australia. Um, the suburb of Newtown, which is where I spent many years in Sydney, just outside the, the University of Sydney where I taught. And then I realized it's impossible for me to come up with a place. <laughs> because every place I've ever been to um, is, is replete with emotions and things that have shaped me. I, I realized that I feel patriotic about every place I've been to. Um, and there, therefore, I came came to, to, to the answer that I gave you: um, a borderless earth. I hmm. I'm a politician, you know. To believe in a borderless earth is like political suicide these days. To believe that borders are a scar on the planet of the uh, on the face of the planet, uh, and to want to do away with them at a time when. Um, the vast majority are rooting for uh, taller fences, separating our, our peoples and separating peoples within themselves as well. Um, and I also remembered of, of uh, uh, a year I spent with uh, my wife. Uh, this is actually the year when we met and we spent a year together in 2005. Uh, she's an artist and she had a project of uh, photographing 
taking just two photographs uh, standing on the harsh division, whether that is uh, in Palestine or in Belfast or uh, in Korea, uh, taking a picture of one side and the other side. And of course, to do that is not an easy thing <laughs> because you have to step on landmines <laughs> in order to get there. Yes. So we spent a year doing that. And I, we saw to, together, we saw through her artist's mind and my own musings, uh, what division means. And therefore, I came up with my answer to your question, a borderless earth, even if it is political suicide. Well, well it is such a wonderful idea. And yet, and yet it, it, the borderless earth could, as much as it's a, a, perhaps a vision of, of, of the utopian left, also be a vision of the libertarian right. Uh, that, that you know, this, this place of, of, of freedom of passage, it's not necessarily constrained by a particular politics. I do believe that it's constrained by politics because the libertarian right, uh, allow me to say that, <laughs> uh, they're hypocrites. <laughs> they're complete and utter hypocrites because what when they imagine a borderless wor uh, world, they think in terms of uh, the right of money to shift from one from one city from one computer to the other at at the touch of a button they think of the of free trade they think of capital movements not human movements because the moment they acquire power they erect border fences like uh, the one between the United States and Mexico if you want to see libertarianism is not work i think that awful border effect, effect essentially go to el paso and take a look at Juarez opposite. Uh, you will see uh, that, that sharp contrast between the libertarian uh, narrative and the libertarian mm. practice. A place without borders, a, a, a place where the constraints of those, that those things impose have, have disappeared. What, how does that, I mean, it, it's, it, it sounds obvious, but to ask how does that transform the earth, but how does that transform the earth? What What do we... What do we end up with, with that degree of freedom? Well, we already have transformed the Earth. Humanity would not have existed without a borderless Earth. We are all children of uh, Africa. We all came out of Africa. Uh, hmm. We all walked all the way up to northern Africa, to where Egypt is. We crossed to what is today the, this very sad and murderous place called the Middle East, from there, we spread eastwards and westwards. Uh, globalization is synonymous with humanity. Uh, we've had many, many spades of globalization. Uh, it is only very recently that we have started thinking in terms of borders and passports. Uh, the, you know, when Lord Byron came to Athens, to Greece, uh, and to fight for with the Greeks mm. uh, for the liberation of the Greeks from the Ottoman Empire, he didn't have a passport. When Lord Elgin, for that matter, came to steal the Parthenon statues, <laughs> he didn't have a passport. There was no need for passports there. So, a little bit like income tax, this whole craze about passports and border controls and so on, coincided with the, with, with the beginning of the Great War, of the First World War. So, it's important to, to, to think of it in, that, in those terms, because it, just like capitalism, we take capitalism to be something that was eternal. That was always with us. We always had a capitalist world. We didn't. Mm. We didn't have a capitalist world. We didn't have um, a world with very well demarcated and policed borders. 
Does the borderless world remove the associations that people have with place? Not exactly the opposite. Um, I have to say that uh, as somebody who's lived in uh, at least three countries, maybe four, uh, one of them being Australia, um, I got to uh, feel for my Greece, for the country that gave birth to me, when I lived in Sydney. It was only when I lived for 12 years in Sydney that I truly made sense of Greece. And hmm. I truly made sense of Australia when I migrated from Australia in 2000 uh, back to Greece. Uh, and when I was in Texas, where I lived with my wife for three years, it was only then that I really appreciated Europe. So I do believe that taking an Archimedean perspective, that is removing yourself from your locus, is the best way of uh, connecting to your locus. So, uh, you know, those who say that if you are uh, not a citizen grounded somewhere, you are a citizen of nowhere. Well, this is a half-truth and a half-lie. It is true that you need to have roots somewhere. You have to have sprung out of Mm -hmm. somewhere. And you have to be able to appreciate that somewhere and to feel patriotic for it in order to be an internationalist. But unless you are an internationalist, you cannot be a patriot. That's a very richly paradoxical idea. I mean, there's there's great depth to that thought. Well, I come from a land of paradox. We invented the word. <laughs> the Greeks have a word for it. <laughs> yes, indeed. That, <laughs> what is it? I mean, you, you have been in so many places and have moved on. I mean, yes, there would be circumstances around your life that contribute to that, but what what is that that urge to... To, to, to find the new and, and in doing that to, as you say, enhance the, enhance the sense of the old? It's partly curiosity, um, part, partly curiosity, uh, but also maybe my background. Uh, as we speak, I'm researching a new book which uh, is uh, exposing a background that I have which I didn't even know I had or I didn't really appreciate I had. Uh, it's it's fo- focusing on my paternal grandmother, a woman mm. called Anna. I knew f- few things about Anna, and now that my father has passed away and I've inherited his uh, archive, I am discovering maybe the answer to your question. Anna was French-born. Uh, she lived all her life in Cairo, Egypt, as part of the expat community that were effectively the settler community, the oppressors of the Egyptians. But she was a suffragette. She was a feminist in the 1920s. And she was part of a of the, what was called the Egyptian Feminist Union. Uh, and she married um, a Greek, ethnic Greek, who had an Italian passport, who had studied in Lebanon. And they lived in Cairo. And they gave birth to my father, who was born and raised in Cairo, who became an accidental uh, left-winger communist uh, simply because he was being persecuted by the police as a left-winger, and the police managed to turn him into a left-winger. So if you put all this together, Hmm. uh, there is a background story to why I'm so patriotic about Cairo, about Australia, about Kenya, about Iceland. You know, I I find uh, immense pleasure in celebrating the achievements and the resistance and the accomplishments uh, of everybody around this place. You said that, 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 that things like passports and, and the enforcement of borders is, is a reasonably recent phenomenon, and yet that 
that desire to to have a place of home and to create a sense of otherness of people outside of that place is a very old human thing. In the borderless world, how how do we grapple with that? How do 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 we need to become one in that place, or do we maintain that sense of ourselves but find some better accommodation with each other? I think that borders, especially the electrified fences. Uh, policed by drones, what they do is they disconnect us from the place that we would otherwise be uh, much better fused with. So I remember from my experience of living in Texas, very close to the U.S.-Mexican border, uh, that border was preventing Mexicans from spending time at home. Mm. Because before that border was uh, electrified (laughs) and turned into this uh, uh, dystopian architectural uh, device that it now is, uh, Mexican workers uh, would uh, venture into into the United States, into Texas, uh, for for work, uh, temporary work. And then they would go back home. Now they're stuck in Texas. Because they can't go backwards and forwards. So the idea that the borderless world is somehow inimical to a sense of uh, being rooted in your place is absolutely misguided. Is it a, a, a possible future reality? I hope so. And I do trust that um, it goes hand in hand with the survival of the, of the species. We are, as a species, uh, facing, staring in the face of an existentialist threat in the form of climate catastrophe, in the form of war, and so on. The height and ferocity of our border walls is highly correlated and causally correlated by all the things that are destroying our planet and creating tensions between our countries and and blocks. Uh, And that is the domination of the profit motive, of profit against humanity, and profit against uh, um, against the planet, against an environment. They go hand in hand. Again, as I said, this is a great hypocrisy of the liberal libertarian mind, which wants, again, I will focus on the US-Mexican border. It could mm. be the borders of the European Union or any other borders you want, the borders of Australia. Uh, they, they really do want to see lots and lots of containers as bringing into the country and out of the country things that we neither need or want, you know, manufactured goods that have been produced by exploited work, labor in countries with the lowest possible wages. Uh, they want to see money rushing in and out of countries, creating real estate bubbles, housing prices, um, explosions, and then collapses. Uh, that's what they really are about. And that goes hand in hand with all fences, border fences. Uh, if we're going to prevent these multiple crises from destroying our species and our planet. We need to lower those border fences. Yanis, thank you. It's, it's uh, of all the senses of place that we've, we've discussed on, on this program, that is it's the one with the greatest, greatest scope and ambition, um, a borderless earth. I, I, I salute, I salute this endeavour. Thank you for describing it to us. Well, thank you for thank you for giving me an opportunity to express my feelings. <laughs> Our pleasure, indeed. Yanis um he will be at the Adelaide Writers Week 
uh, 2 to 7 March, uh, discussing, among many other things, I'm sure, his latest book, Techno-Feudalism, What Killed Capitalism. I will put various links to these things up on the Radio National website. Getting in touch with ABCRN is easy. Join the conversation live using the ABC Listen app's call and text features.